everyone and a warm welcome to the Centre Left Politics Podcast hosted by myself Malcolm Clark and my co-host Carl Quilliam. And before I forget, just a note that we will be taking a week off during recess next week. Whilst we're on, right at the beginning, please do take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends. Uh, So this week we're going to cover a number of topics and they include uh, record levels of migration, government getting criticism over that, Uh, the Home Secretary Swala Braverman under increasing pressure due to the furore surrounding her speeding fine. Um, We've got more MPs behaving badly, so a few stories to cover in that area. Um, Something that's happened this evening, which I'm sure you'll be aware of, is the lockdown at the Downing Street gates after a man drove his car into the gates. Um, And Rachel Reeves uh, in Washington, Securonomics, which Carl's going to take you through. Uh, So, yes, welcome to my co-host, Carl. How's your week been so far? Uh, So far, so good. Um, Yeah. Uh, so we've been talking before we came onto the podcast. Me and Martin have been talking about. I've, I've been, um, yeah. Full disclosure, I've been out this evening. <laughs> We're recording later than usual. I've been out this evening because uh, I had a leaving day at work, um, and I've had a few drinks for um, him. If... Yeah, for me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving. Um, and I think, you know, I've had a few, I'm fine, but, you know, if we're honest, I think it's frankly irresponsible that Malcolm's allowing me to speak on this podcast and be recorded, and whatever I'm going to say, I take no responsibility for for the next hour or so. That's reassuring. Well, normally what I do is um, take a little note when I have to edit something out, so you may not notice anything, but I may have to spend many hours editing what becomes about a three-minute show. Who knows? <laughs> um, but Carl's decided to drink throughout this podcast only because, Carl, to not do uh, well, so. Well, I, I just I don't want to... I've, I've, I've hit a level, as I'm sure listeners will understand, and I, don't, I feel like I need to carry on, otherwise I might get a bit sleepy and just drift off towards the end of the podcast. So I'm going to make it through the hour. I need a bit of wine. That's all I'm saying. So that's it. He's doing it for you. That's all I want. That's all we want to make clear. <laughs> it's for the people. <clears throat> yeah, and I'm a little and bit croaky as well, so I do apologise for sounding a bit husky, which some people might like, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had a few drinks, Malcolm, so watch. <laughs> yes, the witty retorts could be a little bit cutting this evening. Um, but yes, in terms of my... My update uh, this week, an interesting one, Carl, because we have um, one of our stories later being locked down at the Downing Street gates after a car collided. Um, so we obviously record our show on a, on a Thursday evening. Um, we had committed to this being done at 11 p.m., but we are a couple of hours behind that, or at least one hour behind that, so we're doing well. Um, goodness knows what state Carl would have been in uh, if we'd have done it at 11 Maybe I wish we did do it at 11 for that reason. But going back to me, um, <clears throat> last uh, Thursday, obviously, show gets done. I'm on a week's leave at the moment, enjoying some time off, um, mainly because I haven't really had any holiday so far this year, and I think um, I probably wouldn't be allowed to take off the last month of the year. So I thought I'd better get some, some used up. So beginning of the leave, <clears throat> go down my parents for tea, come back home, Turn into my estate. Couldn't have got any further because police fans everywhere. 
flashing blue lights, it's getting dark, and I'm thinking, oh, what's going on here? And then I see where a car has careered off the road. A black car. There's no ambulances, so uh, thankfully that it looked like nobody was hurt, or they may have already left. Um, <clears throat> dangerously near the internet box. So I got home, come in, my internet's off. Off as in, completely off. I thought, oh dear. And so I went into, you know, my provider and it detected an outage in the area. I thought, oh God. Anyway, cut long story short, somebody's careered off the road, smashed into the, and I mean smashed into the internet box, totaled it, absolutely ruined, demolished it, most of the estate's off. And they said it was going to be like a week and a half at least. So I was like, oh hell. So that killed the podcast off. It killed off me doing anything fun. Of course, my computer didn't find my, you know, Bluetooth phone. Because why, why would it? Um, <clears throat> so I ended up getting a temporary internet router, which I've still got. But it came back on today. So I'm happy, but not happy that I've spent 40 quid on an internet router that I don't need. So I'm not going to get that back, Carl. That's my fault. But yeah, some idiot. And of course, he did a bunk and left the car because he maybe had a reason why he didn't want the police to catch him at that time. Um, perhaps the reason that Carl's not driving right now. <laughs> Don't know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, so all speculation, but I'm pleased it's back on. Um, if it hadn't have been, um, I'm not sure how the other route would have held up because it's certainly not as good as mine, but um, we would have tried to get a show out at least. But that is my update, Carl. Most of this week has Ooh. made me realise in an uncomfortable way how incredibly reliant I am on the internet and it's made me uncomfortable. I need to do more offline stuff in my life. All right. And what are you going to do? I don't know. I mean, a few people have very sort of horribly suggested exercise, which I I found a little bit nasty, but um, Mm. they're probably right. Uh, Given it is my birthday today, I am planning on joining the gym and following through on the pledge I made at last birthday last year. (laughs) So I I am serious what a birthday present to yourself there. <laughs> yeah, it's not the best. I mean, I'm I mean, obviously all stereotypes aside, I am a big lad and I you know I don't understand these people who run in it for enjoyment or, or sort of exercise for enjoyment. I genuinely don't enjoy it. If I could find a way of being like great figure without doing anything, that would be brilliant. Um but I know I have to do it for health, you know, I'm not getting any younger, of course. And uh yeah, I've got to do it, but um it's not fun. I don't enjoy it. I kind of there was one time, actually, in 2015 during the general election campaign, and because we were in a seat that we knew we were going to win, and I was working for the MP's office, is we had to do all the leaflets because everyone was shipped off elsewhere to fight various marginals, or what we thought were marginals. Um, Lib Dems always challenged in Durham, for example, so a lot of people were down there helping out, and we, we just cracked on with whatever gaps to fill. And we were doing about two or three hours a day of leafleting, and... I did reach a point, and this sounds like I'm almost making a joke, but I'm not. Mm. I reached a point where I started to enjoy it. <laughs> but that's the only time in my life that I've had sort of <laughs> enjoyment endorphins from exercise. I've never managed it before or since. Delivering leaflets, that's that's the future. <clears throat> like I was I felt like a Lib Dem in a by-election. <laughs> I was I was on it. That's the that's that's the quote for this episode, isn't it? That's the headline. <laughs> which which for anyone who's not particularly political is pretty enthusiastic. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> I think we should get some t shirts with that on. <laughs> I'm so happy it's like a Lib Dem in a by election. 
Alison would buy one of them. Shout out to Alison. Certainly, yeah. yeah. Um, that's <laughs> that. Four of those. I'm so sure. yeah, that's that's pretty much my update. Um, yeah, looking forward to. Yeah, you know, I'm always grateful that you know I'm healthy and I could do a bit a bit more healthy. That's the goal. That is the goal. Try and do a bit more exercise and you know podcasting and all that sort of thing. But yes, let's let's move on, Carl. Okay, let's, cool. Let's see how you fare talking politics. <laughs> <laughs> so the first story we're going to cover is 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 record levels of migration because the government talks tough on this one as we know lots of pretty harsh rhetoric and actually when you look at the the figures doesn't paint a great picture on them and if and if they for example were let's say swap the narrative over Carl, say they completely flipped over and said we actually think there should be more migration people would think that they were following through on that pretty effectively so Net migration reached a record annual level of 606,000 in 2022. And this is up, uh, oh, sorry, this is 164,000 people more than in 2021. But actually, 2022's figures are less than predicted. So, yeah, not a great thing at all, um, despite the heavy rhetoric in the opposite direction that talking about stopping the boats and reducing everything. And also the asylum backlog is at a record high as well. It came out today. So, Carl, what's your views on that? Is you know, is There seems to be a big gulf between what the government are saying and what the government are doing in this area. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I say is I think I'm reassured by the fact that I don't think anyone's ever gone wrong talking about migration after having had a few drinks. I think that's... Um... <laughs> That's well established. That's not, not caused any problems before, uh, I'm sure. Um, but I, no, I'm. It, it's. I mean, it is big news for the government. Um, it is for those that remember the sort of Cameron years and his kind of commitment to bringing migration, net migration, as it is. So that is people coming in minus people going out um, down to the tens of thousands. Um, it's quite a sort of indictment of the effectiveness of conservative governments that uh, that figure has now managed to reach 606,000. I mean, that's a, that's a huge figure um, in, you know, in kind of conservative politics and in the kind of re- you know, relatively recent history of conservative politics. Um, and it, you know, it. I think it showed in the fact that Rishi Sunak was asked about it, and has had to basically come out and you know criticise the figure, you know, which is obviously own making in some ways, saying it's too high. You you refused to say it was. I forget the exact terminology, but he he was very kind of. Um, he, he kept his. He used quite careful wording in how yeah. he spoke about it and said, you know, it's too high and, and so that's it, really. Um, he said he denied it, yeah, as you say, he sort of denied it was out of control, which is, you know, if, if he'd have used those words, that would be the headline tomorrow on the front page of Daily Mail or Express or whoever it was. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's not good for him. Um does it matter in the scheme of things? Uh, migrations, you know, net migration's gone up and down. Um, 
for quite a number of years. This is you know a very high figure uh, in kind of recent history. Um, it's clearly kind of partly explained at least by what's going on with, with Ukraine and with Hong Kong. Um, those are the you know some some of the kind of things that are, are driving it. Um, but I think it'll be interesting to see how the politics of that now plays out. I mean, it's also in the same week that, and I think, you know, we're obviously going to talk about it later, but he's stood by Suella Braverman, who's, you know, the problem that she's had is a speeding fine, and I don't want to sort of preempt what we're going to talk about. But, you know, in times gone by, in governments past, what she did at the uh, Conservative... I forget the name of it, but the Conservative Conference last week that we didn't quite get to talk about on the podcast, which was essentially just tearing into her own department. Yeah. <laughs> saying, you know, how badly it done, would have done in for any Home Secretary. But the fact that she was there, sat next to her PMQs on the day that there were record levels of migration. And I haven't, and you can correct me on this, but I haven't seen that she said anything, which... I have, can only assume means that um, before and after PMQs, somebody, uh, well, well, because we're on, well, I've, this is, this is, this is where I've, um, I'm revealing my drunkenness and Malcolm's going to have to edit this out and he won't because I can see his face now. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to leave it in. But we're not on PMQ today. But, but uh, basically, I, I suspect what's happened is this morning, somebody um, invited Suella uh, to breakfast and locked her in a cupboard because if she'd been allowed out today, she would have had a lot to say about herself and how badly she'd done as Home Secretary. And so far, we haven't seen that. So, I, I mean, what do you think, Margaret? Well, I think there's, the first thing I'll say, just I noticed something about the stats there that obviously for the show notes I'd written down, was that if you take the 114,000 arrivals to the UK from the Ukraine, which nobody argues is a bad thing generally, and the 52,000 from Hong Kong, that's 166,000. Um, our, our figure for this year is 164,000 more than 2021. So basically we've stood still. Uh, we've got no better, and you know, when you consider that the, the government want to, you're absolutely right. Um, this it's hard to paint this as anything other than a failure of their own very harsh policies. You know they talk very very tough, but nothing's actually getting better. And this is this is where it's funny because <clears throat> as somebody who I know really well, not naming any names, it's nothing. No one I work with, it's someone from my sort of home life, if you like. Um, I actually live live near them, and they one of these people that always mentions migration foreigners like that's the sort of go-to issue they come across frankly a little bit racist sometimes and it's one of those subjects where you sort of how's how are you doing yeah fine and after five minutes they'll get the conversation into that somehow and this person tells me that they think things are going quite well the government's saying all the right things and i'm like well you know this proves that it's just words you know like the progress has to happen the reality is and it's a fact these 606,000 uh, net people or whatever have to be housed somewhere you know so it does put pressure on services and on things if if things aren't 
controlled. Now, the government have never said that they are, you know, there's a lot of allegations get chucked about. They've never said they're anti-foreigners or anti-completely, you know, like, this person I talked to would like nobody coming in, like zero. Um, but <clears throat> they've never said that. But ultimately, their failure to, to get a grip on this, it is out of control, in my opinion. Now, you've got to be very careful there, Carl, because as I say that, I then see that rhetoric of being swamped, you know, all that language that you get that goes at that really unpleasant place that you hear from people who are anti and anti-everything. And all the stuff that Gary Lineker was complaining about. <laughs> yeah, but I think, yeah, but it's, it can go into a bad place. And I think that's why it's really, it's really difficult. And Yvette Cooper said the government has no plan and no grip on immigration. So this could well become like, a real sort of political for and it already is, but even more so as we go towards the uh, the general election. It's a tricky one for Labour because when you highlight the difference between words and actions, the Labour's got to be careful that they don't inadvertently, and I'm sure they're well aware of this and won't do it, they don't inadvertently tell the government to toughen their stance on migration because it's pretty tough already, even if it's not working. So it's a bit of a delicate one for Labour. But just highlighting another failure, in my opinion. Is there anything else you want to add on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm not somebody that has a a strong. Yeah, the, I think David Gock, the former um, chief secretary, I think he was the former chief secretary. He was, yeah, 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 yeah. The former Conservative MP said that you know we should be uh, celebrating migration. Um, in one of his articles uh, today or yesterday, I think, um, and I, I sort of to some degree, I, I kind of I, I agree with the sentiment in the sense that it's weird um, to celebrate the idea that nobody wants to come here, uh, which is fundamentally what you know. If if we got migration down to um, the tens of thousands, as David Cameron used to talk about when back in the mists of time. That, that's the sort of implication is that actually more people you know want to leave and fewer people want to come uh, whereas actually we're in a situation where actually quite a lot of people want do want to come here and actually that's in lots of ways quite a nice thing um, like you say there's there are implications for services for housing for all those other things and there's definitely massive political implications for the conservative party who sort of set their face against migration generally i think uh, Boris Johnson had a target of 250,000 a year, which was again already sort of far and away from what Cameron was after. I think Rishi Sunak, when he's been talking about it, said under 500,000 a year, which is what I think what he inherited. Um, so yeah, I mean it's the the politics of it is t- terrible for the government, um, particularly. Given that you know the it links very clearly, and I suspect certainly in the minds of voters, and you know, as an issue with the small boats policy, you know, Rishi Sunak, one of his five things is he wants to reduce the number of small boats coming over, um, and even if somehow, and he's already sort of started to step away from that, even if somehow he manages to get to grips with that. Having this big figure sat behind that, I think, is not, you know, it's just not going to bode well for him politically. And I think there's a, <clears throat> there is a, a danger as well, 
that it brings migration generally back to the fore. And there's, there's yeah, as you've already touched on, there's there's potential toxicity around that. I think because yeah. you know after the one of the things that did happen in terms of in polling terms after the EU referendum and the and after you know we formally brexited um migration is an issue sort of ticked down it was you know it had been you know in the top five i think and it sort of um ticked down as an issue with a, a whole group of people and the danger is that 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 kind of then comes back up at a time actually when if you look across most of the economy we need Mm. Uh, there, there is a skill, there is skill shortage in the NHS. Um, you know, so well, Braverman herself has been moaning about people not wanting to go and um, pick fruit and things like that. There, there are there's a genuine need for more workers in in large parts of the economy. So the the government are, are in a position where they're it's looking like they're managed to managing to fail on every possible measure. You know, they're not tackling the small boats. They're not reducing that migration, but somehow they still have a massive, massive skill shortage in what are politically, you know, not just you know generally across the economy, but in politically difficult areas like the NHS. And it, you know, if if we come, you know, twelve year, twelve years, um, twelve months in advance of, you know, if we look from today, twelve months. Uh, June, May, June next year, there could be an election. Um, it's very likely it'll be within you know a few months of an election, and we're, we're in a very similar position. I can't see how Rishi Sunak can claim any kind of success in anywhere. Yeah, good point. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so it's bad now, but obviously moving forward, I think that's a really good, uh, really good point. So, <laughs> good point made at length. <laughs> we wouldn't have it any other way, Carl. It's all good. Don't worry. We've all we've got to fill an hour. It's uh, it's just it's got to be at least an hour. I feel like if it's less than an hour, I feel like we're shortchanging people. But, um, but yeah, I think I agree with everything you say there. It's 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 a good point. So we're going to move on now, talking about a, a tricky subject. I think it's fair to say. You know, these things. Uh, I'm going to use it as a conduit into into something else that I want to say. Um, in that this evening. Um, as I'm sure, again, I'm not going to spend too long on the summary because it's a very well-known uh, story, I imagine, now, that there was uh, a man's been arrested after his car crashed into the Downing Street gates. Uh, I think it's good to say that the police acted very quickly um, and it's unclear at this stage on the motivations of the individual, uh, what his intent was, etc., um, etc., et all that sort of thing. But, um, Carl, you were actually... In the vicinity, I believe, uh, the benefit of living down there, I was safely up in the northeast. So, do you want to give us your your first time I mean, experience, uh, limited that it was? Uh, on I Martin. mean, I, I, I massively <laughs> caveat that to say I didn't have any first hand experience at all. But my office is um, in Waterloo, which is uh, over the river from <laughs> from Westminster and and, uh, and number ten. So the one thing that I I did, so we were, um, you know. As a one of the metropolitan elite, what I was doing obviously was having a drink on the roof terrace of my office. Uh, <laughs> sounds great, to be fair. <laughs> Horribly spoiled by the sounds of it, by by sirens and stuff. Yeah. 
Well, not just that. I mean, because I work in a WeWork at the moment, and one of the things that they have is one of, one of the perks that you get in a WeWork is that they have free beer from three till six, and they have just some beer taps on one one floor of the office that they just turn on at three and turn off at six. Unfortunately, those beer taps were broken today, so we had to pay for our drinks. Stress. <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, we were on the we were on the roof terrace, and the, this this news was sort of breaking as we were up there. Um, we did sort of hear the sirens, so the the police kind of hurtling towards um, number ten, and uh, a helicopter, which I assume was a police helicopter heading that way as well. And within, uh, yeah, it was it was quite quick from sort of getting the <clears throat> update. Oh, well, it wasn't one of my colleagues had an update on their phone. Let's say it was happening, and um, so it was, yeah, quite speedy the response. Yeah, it's good, um, and I think I think it's good that that happened. I mean, like I say, I think for me, I've watched the the footages online. You can see the car sort of heading that way. Um, doesn't sort of blast into the gates. There wasn't a lot of damage on the car, so I do feel like this was perhaps when all the dust has settled. Very interested to see what happens doesn't appear to be the most serious of incidents but obviously anything like this is a concern and it does remind people i mean tobias elwood who was very much involved in the uh, 2017 uh, aftermath of the terrorist attack um helping people and trying to save the lives of the, uh, the police who lost his life um he said that just reminds you that the precarious nature of the access to politics and i'm always struck Carl, when i come down to london usually on a monthly basis and i'm quite often in and around Westminster for a short time. And because I don't live down there, I've still got the kind of wonder of it. You know, when I came down last week, I alighted to out of Westminster Underground and there was Big Ben. It was like, wow, you know, it still still, it still captures me a little bit because I haven't been down there enough to sort of lose that yet. Um, and it just reminds me, there's just so many people around and you think, you know, people have to have that belief, I think, that they can raise a grievance with politics. And it's when people lose that belief that they can be heard, that, that things like this can happen. Now, again, we don't know the motivations, but I just wanted to mention that, that you know, it seems like this person perhaps just wanted to make a statement. We'll find out what it is. Uh, it could be something really bad. It could be, you know, just a case that, you know, and it just reminded me of all the cases I dealt with over the years, working for the MP that I worked for, that, um, you know, to the individual on any case, no matter how outlandish or worthy of gr having that gripe you feel, like the veracity in my view, somebody can have some a case that's like very, very in innocuous and feel like it's the most important thing in the world, the most disgraceful grievance ever. And it's that unpredictability of people that can lead to this. You just never know where it's going to come from. Um, so it's like... It both kind of made me feel good that the police reacted quickly and contained whatever this was, but it also reminded me how easy these things can happen. And uh, I always have that unease when I'm around Parliament, you think, I wonder if today is the day, you know? <laughs> um, so it's always good when, you know, things are dealt with well. So I think it looks like it has been on this occasion, but we'll we'll find out in due course, Carl. Yeah, I mean, the so... Yeah, we, we don't yet know, do we, um, exactly what's gone on. Um, it's, you know, it was reported uh, presumably live um, and there's been a fair bit of noise about it. But, I mean, if you look at the BBC website, for example, um, 
there's really not a lot of information there about what you know, the, the sort of what and why somebody's been arrested. Um, but actually, any you know details beyond that, they've you know one of the things they pulled out in the story is uh, that it was a 2009 silver Kia registered in London, slowing down as it approaches the main entrance to Downing Street. So it, I think that sort of suggests that. Um, we're still waiting, really, for the the kind of real detail of, of kind of why this happened and what what happened. Well, it I might be. You know, it could it could be you know, you know it could be somebody you know not that's just a terrible driver, uh, but it seems unlikely at this point. I mean, he could have had a health incident. He was able to walk away. One thing I did uh, notice that in the initial photographs, they didn't grey out the the guy's pictures. So that is online, and he would have been identifiable to anyone who knew him. If you saw the picture, it would have been like, for example, if it was you, Carl, and it wasn't Carl. So apologies <laughs> if I inferred that that was. <laughs> <laughs> like I would have recognised from the profile of this person uh, who it was if, if if I knew them. But latest pictures have got his face greyed out, which is very appropriate given, you know, if it turns out this person did have real bad intent. Um, but I'm glad to say that it doesn't appear like there was any explosives on his person or explosives in the car. It has been removed from the scene and everything is now back to normal and let's hope it stays that way uh, forever. We know there'll be something eventually, but, you know, good stuff, get back to normal. Hopefully it's not serious, but we'll find out. And uh, there'll be the usual and quite appropriate double checks on, you know, security. The good thing was if this person did have malicious intent, he didn't get through the gates. Uh, The gates held up. It wasn't, like I say, they weren't sort of poleaxed by the car. Um, but again, they're there for a reason and they're held up. So well, well done um, enforcement because they don't get much praise. But I think this looks like they did a good job. Yeah, certainly in this case, yeah. Um, so uh... Uh, probably not a lot more to say on that, Carl, really. Um, we've got a few MPs behaving badly uh, fun and game stories to go through. But before we do that, uh, Carl, you just wanted to mention quickly... Uh, Rachel Reeves and her activities today with the new <laughs> funky, funky economics. Uh, well, I, I can't believe you missed it, Malcolm. It was, it I was yesterday. I really did. Oh, sadly, I did. But I'm, I'm on leave, so I'm, I have some excuse this week. I think. I thought, I thought you followed Rachel Reeves closely with your. Well, given that I've met her at the chess, you know, when we had that, you know, we... we, we yeah, yeah, very good, chess friends. Very good chess player. Well, interestingly, when, when she met me, she said how nice it was to see me again, which was great, given that I've never met her before. Um, but, you know, if she's maybe previous life, I don't know. She's a, clearly a regular listener to the podcast, Mark. It's because I, I look like everyone. I'm, I, I don't, stick, I don't <laughs> stick out at all. <laughs> Generic man, Malcolm. No, <laughs> the generic man podcast. That's my own. All right. Fine. I could. I've always thought I'd be good at MI6, but obviously now I've said that I can't be now. But I, I feel like I just I blend in. Like no one really takes me seriously. So I would be. I'd be a great spy. If anyone's listening in, contact me because I haven't just outed myself to the world. Well, you'll be pleased to know that I take you very seriously, Malcolm. So but you're um... MI6, so you know I, I, I want to be a spy call. Or is he? Oh. Or is he, ladies and gents? This is all just to cover. Moving on. See, I've outed him. He is a spy. That's where he's going to. But, he's leaving Dukes. He's, joined, he's, he's a new James Bond. 
I mean, well, Carl, I think Carl Quilliam, actually James Bond is the new Carl Quilliam. Actually, let's let's get it the right way around, Carl. I think any regular listener is going to find that suggestion somewhat fanciful, Malcolm. That's why it's credible, Carl. There's someone who's really suave and like he could be a good spy isn't a good spy. It has to be somebody. <laughs> it has to be somebody. Someone who don't think is real. Like me. Think of the. Think Charmless of the, man. <laughs> think of the person who you think would make the worst spy ever. They're the best choice. Sorry. Man or woman, they are the best choice. Well, I mean, you know, I, I was telling you earlier, I got because I got a, a Chinese tonight. I got a um, fortune cookie. Says my golden opportunity is coming shortly. So maybe it is joining MI6. We'll find out. My choice. Um, Anyway, we, 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 we digress ever so slightly. I mean, Over not to you slightly. for virtual reasons. <laughs> to you, to me. Um, okay, all going well. <laughs> so, yeah, so Rachel Reeves has been over in Washington um, uh, doing, I'm sure, lots of important things. But what, the thing that sort of reached back over to us over here um, and was in the press yesterday uh, was that she did a big speech on her approach, her economic approach. Um, she released a pamphlet with the, uh, well, it's now, I think, Labour Together. Um, so it was a, well, I don't know what it was. It was, it was launched during the kind of Corbyn years as a sort of platform for moderates. It was, I think, Morgan McSweeney, who's now deputy. No, he's the, he's the director of campaigns for uh, Keir Starmer. Um, was one of the people behind it. It was linked to sort of Lisa and Andy and lots of other people, and it's turning itself into quite um, potentially quite an influential think tank. I think it's got it's done some big polling. They're the ones that did the um, that big bit of polling not so long ago that we touched on here, where they were uh, branding. Um, what was it? Uh, the the polling that was. I can't remember the cut. It was something woman. Worcester woman. There you go. Was it, I was going to say Stevenage woman. It was Stevenage woman. I was trying to get alliteration. Was it? Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah, you were right. It was Stevenage woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so they did, they did that. And this is, as far as I can tell, this is their first kind of uh, sort of more policy focused piece. And it's a pamphlet from Rachel Reeves. As far as, there doesn't seem to be anything new in the pamphlet itself, but it's a. Uh, it seems to be trying to encapsulate kind of her approach and Labour's approach uh, to the economy. There's lots of bits in there that people will probably recognise in, in terms of you know, existing announced things that have been announced before. Focus on a uh, active industrial strategy is a big part of it. Um, so she did this big, she did a big speech, um, and she's kind of aligned herself with Biden's economic policy. So the Inflation Reduction Act, um, which was a, had lots of elements to it, but a big part of it was investment in green um, technology and um, green programs, more you know, environmental programs, more generally. It's, it's huge, billions and billions of pounds worth of investment. Uh, it's something that the Labour Party front bench have been. Um, well, I hesitate. Well, they've been obsessing about it. I think ever since it's happened, it's a huge investment. It's very difficult for the the UK um, as a single country to kind of match 
actually what the US is doing. The EU are, are basically trying to come up with a, a big kind of fiscal response um, and Labour want to sort of grab hold of some of that and um, feed it into, you know, whatever they, they're looking to do for the next election. Uh, and she's branded it, and I'm not sure how you, what you think about this. She's branded it Securonomics, Malcolm, um, which, you know, I'm sure everyone loves it when someone tries to to make a new word um, uh, to encapsulate the, you know, the, her approach and the Labour's approach. I think, uh, to be fair, I think it does genuinely kind of capture what uh, Labour is trying to achieve with the approach to the economy. I'm not convinced it's a word that is necessarily going to catch on. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, um, if anybody wants to watch the speech or read it, um, I've managed to find it on on uh, YouTube, Carl, uh, while you're giving us that update. Look at you. Um, <clears throat> it's an hour's speech, or most of an hour, which doesn't surprise me because I've just read it on Labour's, Labour.org. Labour does a really good job, if anybody's ever interested in these sort of long speeches, if you ever want to read them. I know it's unlikely people will want to read these, but if you ever do uh, want to have a look at them, they do post all these on the the, the major speeches by certainly Keir Starmer, Rachel Reeves, and I probably think, I would imagine, Angela Rayner as well. Um, they do publish them on the Labour's website in full. So, uh, so yeah, if you, if you search for... Um, Chancellor Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves delivers a speech on the global economy. If you put that in, it'll come straight up. Uh, streamed one day ago. It's had five thousand views so far. Um, and yes, uh, yeah, big speech call. I like I said, full hands up. I completely missed it. Um, do, you want, do you want to know what Greg Hans said about it? You know, uh, he, he loved it and has decided to vote for Rachel. No. Yeah, I think he's probably going to defect to the Labour Party over it. I think that's what he said. No, he said, uh, Tory chairman Greg Hans dismissed the plans as the same old Labour ideas and declared that his party will take no lectures from Labour on the economy. Um, so, you know, well done, Greg, for coming well up with Greg. it. Yep, keep fighting. A good fight, Greg. It's working. <laughs> Mr. Hans, as we like to call him. Yes. <laughs> Great name. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I can't really give a lot of insight on it, Carl. But certainly, thank you for for highlighting it. And, uh, <laughs> I will definitely, I will sincerely have a look at it. Um, but I think it's good that, by the looks of it, and again, very very cursory skim, full hands up. Um, it looks like there's a lot of detail in there. Certainly a lot of aspiration, but a lot of a lot of detail that she's not given before. They're really ramping up. I quite like that name, Securonomics. And again, I can talk about it as a first impression. Um, I think it's it's not the most exciting name, but it, it tells a story, doesn't it? And Labour's all about narrative setting at the minute, so all good for me. Yeah, no, like I say, I think it does genuinely encapsulate uh, what she was trying to say. I just, it feels a bit, it comes across a little bit, for me, I think it's a bit awkward, and I don't know if it's necessarily something that's going to stick, but the media do like to, you know, like these words that, Politicians. How about uh, secure a Sir Softinomics? <laughs> I mean, that was. I mean, it's not no. that much worse. No, this is quite a lot worse. Okay, <laughs> I'm not cutting that out. I'm leaving that in. If I don't cut out your first one, I'll leave that one in. 
No, no, I, think I, I agree with you. I agree on a serious point to finish on this one. I definitely think that it's not the most exciting title, but then politicians are boring. So, you know, it's it, we're, we're a party of government. Yeah, and I, I think the, the sort of the general... It, it, you know, it, it was a sort of staging post for Rachel to talk about, you know, the idea of an active state um, being beneficial to the economy, the kind of public-private sector partnership stuff that's become quite a core piece of what Keir Starmer and her have been doing, and being able to sort of point to, you know, the, the world's biggest economy uh, doing something actually in, in some ways on a much grand, grander scale that Labour want to do and will be, you know, trying to capture um, to deliver for the UK. I think, it, yeah, it it all you know fits together. It makes sense. It start. It's about as well Labour kind of taking hold of the news agenda a little bit. I mean, it, well, you know, you didn't see it, so it's, not, it's clearly not gone far and wide. But, you know, coming off the back of a week last week where there was quite a lot coming from the Labour Party, actually there's, you know, keeping on the front foot in this way, showing that Labour is, you know, not just... Um, they've not just got a kind of solid economic plan, but it's one that it helps them build helps us build those kind of international relationships I think yeah is only to the good really yeah definitely and it has echoes of when Blair and Brown went over there and started to get taken seriously and as as the, the international it just shows that that sort of their awareness is building of what of, of potential change of government and of course it would do because look at the polls you know that it's it's quite it's well known around the world now the way things are currently headed Asterisks, but we'll see. But yeah, thanks for that, and uh, check those out if you want to. If you want to hear it, I'm definitely going to have a listen because I am that sad. Um, and you know, it is my birthday day, so I'm saying uh, missing the news today doesn't suggest it didn't go well. Just that I am lazy today. So <laughs> I thought you were saying you're going to listen to to Rachel as your birthday treat. Before you... <laughs> well, if she's listening, I'd like to say that is definitely what I'm doing. Um, but yes, it's probably going to be tomorrow. Um, Cool. So, yeah, for the final 15 or so minutes, we've got a few sort of... That just shows you the type of stories, I guess. This is more of an indictment on me as to the type of stories that I enjoy following on politics. But um, we have MPs behaving badly as a sort of a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek section each week. Or not, well, not each week, but it seems to be at the minute. Uh, the first one is Swala Braverman, back in the news for a change. Um, rivaling Dominic Raab as our most uh, talked about politician, I think, but um, Raab's to come later. Uh, Swallow government had a speeding ticket this week. Actually, to be fair, this was one of the biggest stories of the week uh, that we've just covered as a sort of an aside in a way. Um, certainly earlier in the week, this was the big story of the week. Um, the very quick background was that she received a speeding ticket. Initially, she her team denied that she had one. She then asked civil service uh, colleagues to investigate a private one-to-one speed awareness course. So she didn't have to admit or participate in a public one. I did one, Carl, uh, earlier this year after a 
misdemeanor on a 30 mile an hour road um and you're in a sort of a zoom meeting at the minute because they're still not out of um covid uh, protocol at the minute so you do it from home which is actually better than having to travel to wherever you did the speeding ticket which is how you used to do it um and but you're in like a single room um and you can see everybody you have to have your camera on there's no hiding and and actually they're, they're really strict i remember in mine um somebody made a sound and like the guy was like who's that if you'll be thrown out you know he's like he was probably like if you you had to be fully attentive and if if the person invigilating who was doing the session thought that you weren't for any reason or you even if you like picked up a piece of paper or something like i'm doing now you were told off immediately so um in the end she uh took three points and then paid a fine. Um, and the Prime Minister Sunak consulted his ethics advisor and they decided that no further action would be taken. I think basically because she they said she'd apologise and they wanted to draw a line under it. Um, naturally, this created a lot of angst. People very unhappy with the way that she handled it. Um, and there was accusations that the ministerial code had been breached by her... I guess the, the 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 optics of this being that she was fishing around for a way out. Um, probably worth saying that she never sort of asked anyone to sort of make it go away, quote unquote. But she did definitely investigate her options in terms of how to keep it hidden, I suppose. Um, so I guess that's the summary, Carl. Uh, anything you want to initially add in relation to? how this went because initially and again full disclosure on this I just when I first got in touch with Carla I actually sent a message saying I'm not sure there's anything really to see here because she paid the fine and she asked about a private one-to-one which doesn't feel really bad it's just like she would have known the kind of there's swallow problem and you know and it would have gone in the news so initially I wasn't that bothered but then I reviewed it a bit further thought about it a bit more and then realised yeah there's maybe more to be concerned about here but I'll hand over to you, Carl, first. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's... There's not loads I want to add, to be honest. Um, I didn't... I, in the sense that there wasn't enough for Rishi Sunak to get rid of her, I sort of agreed with your initial assessment. Like, I, you know, it's clearly... Yeah, the the what's happened is what's happened. Um, it shouldn't have happened. She shouldn't have done it. And probably in a normal, in a normal world, she might have resigned. But you know, in a world where the week before she'd been actively trashing her own department and sharing a platform with some quite unpalatable human beings, if we're honest, um, and some things that were you know said that were just should not have been said. I mean, yeah, um, the, the, it's sort of a drop in the ocean, really, uh, particularly, you know, on top of that, given, you know, the, when she was appointed, it was a week or two after she'd been sacked by the previous prime minister for things that she shouldn't have done. I, it just, she's clearly, for whatever reason, Rishi Sunak sees her as politically important or at least he doesn't feel he's strong enough to move her or get rid of her um, and we're going on to talk about Dominic Raab but Dominic Raab might be part of the reason for that you know, he, he has uh, had to move on he's been you know he was a strong supporter of Rishi Sunak he's been a fixture of the cons- you know, conservative front benches for quite a while now 
So, yeah, I, I struggle really to get het up about it because it's just what I think we've come to expect now from this set of human beings that apparently are in charge of the country. Well, I still get outraged because it's worth getting outraged about Carl. But I think, the, the, again, at first I thought there was nothing to see, but I'll tell you the bits that now rile me up, Having once it was highlighted to me through reading about it and stuff, is firstly, the asking the civil service to look into that is probably inappropriate. Um, that they probably shouldn't have done that uh, because that is, is going outside of the process. Um, it's the same for everybody. Why should you get special treatments? That that that, that was wrong, um, and it placed them in a difficult position as well. And as you say, Carl, she's been very critical of the blob, uh, but she was quite happy to be blobbed in in her favour. Um, so yeah, unhappy with that. Also, when about six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, maybe now, her team were asked about this, and they said, "Nope, no speeding ticket." Now. They may not have been aware of it at the time, but at some point, that would have been patently obvious that that was wrong. And they didn't correct the record. So to me, that is a problem. It's an honesty issue. Seven principles of public life messed it up. Well, willfully, well, yeah, <laughs> you know, could have come out and changed it, could have come out and corrected the record. So, no, by the way, full disclosure, been done for speeding, really sorry, took the points, paid the fine, Ouch, move on. You know, when I, like I say, I got a speeding ticket, I knew exactly where it was. I'd let my speed just creep up. Mistake, shouldn't have done it. Yeah. And if I was still a counsellor, I would have had to go in, tell my whip, I would have had to hold my hands up and say, oh God, took the hit. You know, they would have said, oh, bloomin' neck. And if it got into the press, I would have had to take that hit. Um, but you can't hide from it. You've, you've you've done it. So what I would never would have done, and I'm not the Home Secretary, would never have said to my you know chief whip at the council, is there anything you can do to sort of keep this out the way? You know, um, you know you can understand why somebody might want to do that. It's certainly easier, but shouldn't have been done. So yeah, to me it's just another example of, and and the way Sunak's handled the questions, um, not good. And the way that she answered them today, she did the classic thing saying, you know, I've dealt with it, it's finished. And they were saying, did you, she won't answer questions about whether she asked the civil service. And everyone knows she, she did. Um, so, yeah, just another unedifying episode. And like you say, Carl, it's becoming weekly with this person. I mean, this Home Secretary's had more scandals in a very short space of time and a sacking and a reappointment than, you know, you look at Theresa May's record over many years. Nothing that's night and day. Yeah, I mean, there's not much I can disagree with, really. Um, and what you said, like, you know, I, I, I do struggle to get um, wound up about it, but it, it's not... None of this is what should be happening. <laughs> but she's, she's um, in Boris Johnson territory in terms of, like, what does it take to get fired now? Like you, well, like you, you alluded to, Carl. She's at that point now where something like this happens, and you think, okay, what next? Yeah, but and also in the sort of context of, um, you know, she's got some points on her license. Um, she was supposed to, yeah, you know, she could have done this course, blah 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 blah. 
Um, Robert Jenrick, uh, in the same department, he's banned from driving for six months for speeding. Wow. I mean, what is it about? And you, you kind of alluded to it. You know, when you were a councillor, when I was a councillor, I would, anything like that about you know breaking the rules, I was. You know that bit extra cautious was as a kind of public um, elected official, just as you know, as a local council where you know this the stakes are that little that bit lower than being the home secretary, for example. I don't, I genuinely don't understand the mindset of somebody in that situation doing those things. Why would you not be that bit extra cautious? Maybe home office ministers are in a particular hurry I don't know <laughs> um, but I, I can sort of see why she wouldn't want you know as a public figure why she wouldn't want her name out there if she had to do this course but beyond that all of this is just bizarre and ridiculous and I it's beyond me as to why they didn't just think twice about any of it not just her but you know Robert Jenrick as well yeah it's Rishi Sunak's seatbelt all over again, isn't it? Totally avoidable. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we'll move on. We're running out of time, so we've got another couple of things to, to cover. Um, just wanted to cover, because never want to be accused of uh, not giving the full news, um, Liam Byrne, who's a Labour MP, uh, he has been uh, told off a parliamentary investigation, has upheld a complaint that he used expenses to help his failed bid to become the West Midlands mayor. Um, Ipsa found that there was overwhelming evidence that one of his staff members worked on his 2021 campaign while contracted and paid by Parliament. And it was just, I wanted to cover this because there's a an interesting um, an interesting thing that happens around elections where all staff, when it goes into Perda, continue to be paid, but actually help out with campaigning because that's just what they do. Um, but they, they take... Um, the, the, the volunteer. Now, it looks like those rules might be uh, changing because the reason that no action's been taken, even though IPSA found that this staff member conservatively, and I quote, gave about 1,000 hours to this particular uh, endeavour, no sanctions are being taken against Liam Byrne because the IPSA contracts need reform to ensure that... Um, Stronger safeguards are needed for MPs in terms of volunteer agreements and contractual clarity around, and I'm quoting here, delivery of set hours where time works flexibly to guard against lines getting blurred between political and parliamentary work. Um, so, yeah, so, so basically he's found that wrongdoing occurred, but they realise that things have to be amended slightly in terms of the rules. So uh, I wouldn't say he's got away with it, but he's uh, they've... Uh, alluded to the fact that there are these discrepancies that they need to sort out. But it's just an interesting and story that, um, yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting, Carl, as a former staffer, may not be relevant to anybody else who listens to this, but uh, that, yeah, that there is times where, as a staff member, particularly around elections, that the that team will be a key part of campaigning. Yeah, I mean, I've never been a paid parliamentary staffer. I did work in local government, um, but was yeah never never in a position that I you know was volunteering outside of outside of hours um, so it's it's a bit yeah it's a bit less 
I guess directly relevant to me. Um, but it is, yeah, it's not an easy sort of line to tread, is it, uh, for someone that works for an MP, like you say. Um, a thousand hours is a lot of hours. I feel like Liam Byrne was working this guy a bit, <laughs> a bit too hard. I feel like he should be probably he's probably got some expenses, you know, quite a few expenses to claim. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> a th- I mean if you look at a thousand hours. That's conservatively, by the way. Um, so, 1,000 hours divided by a 40... That's 25 full weeks. <laughs> a 40-hour week. Which is a lot. Six months. Yeah, Solid um, work. I'd be interested to know how they calculated that and also what you've been doing for all that time. Because <laughs> also, bearing in mind that Liam Bird didn't win the election... <laughs> No, <laughs> but he does like his tea stirred a certain way. <laughs> You'll never uh, I wonder what he's best known for, if it's his PDF or whether it's his note in the Treasury. It's probably a toss-up, isn't it, between the two? Well, if, if Greg Hans has anything to do with it, note in the Treasury, comedy. You, yeah, there's, there's certain things in life. There is death, taxes, and Greg Hans posting a PDF, a picture of that. <laughs> guaranteed three things that's going to happen <laughs> so anyway that's it's not you only sometimes get a story where I say it then there's nothing to add it's, <laughs> it's just there but anyway uh, the last one uh, we sort of have to cover is Dominic Raab announced that he is going to stand down as an MP at the next general election this one's not a massive surprise is it Carl because 2743 majority in his Escher and Walton constituency, which is a, a very big Lib Dem target. He's a big scalp to go after for them. Um, he said he's concerned about the impact of the political career on his young family. He has got children around about 8 to 10, so yeah, f- fair play on that. I just wondered, Carl, your thoughts on that announcement, whether it's a surprise and if you think you might get a peerage. Um, wow. Lord Rob. That sounds sinister, doesn't it? Well, you love uh, that. <laughs> Baron Rob of Headbutt. <laughs> Baron Rob of Isha and Walton. Uh, I don't know if I'll get a period. Uh, I, I, I kind of was surprised. I thought it might go over the top with this. And I was quite, as I messaged you at the time, I was quite looking forward to watching him lose. I trust um, me, Carl. I actually thought, seriously, that he was tough enough to go fall down on his sword. Because I took it as a point of principle. I've talked about it before. I knew I was going to lose in 2021. And I just, I could have gone. I thought, nah, I'm going out on my sword here. I'm not yeah. scared to lose. And I just took it. So, yeah, I did yeah. think he might be tough enough to just stand there and go, whatever. But yeah. no, he isn't. Hell, hell no, he's not tough enough. No. Nope. Um, you know. <laughs> I admire anyone who can go down on their sword. Speak to somebody who could, who's lost sort of two out of three county council elections I've stood for. Losing sucks, but it takes courage to lose. If you stand, you might lose. It's easy to stand when you know you're going to win. Yeah, uh, like I say, I, I, I thought he might go for it. He reportedly... Um, from people I know, um, had been doing a lot of campaigning after he got got the sack. 
um, after he's, you know, yeah, after, after what happened, let's say, um, for the local elections, and maybe, you know, he didn't, you know, given the results of the local elections, that was might have been what pushed him over the edge. Um, but it would have been nice. I think he would have been, I think for most people on our side of the fence, let's say, he would have been, you know, if not number one in the top three to watch his face as he as the votes were piling up behind him. Yeah, I think so. I think again it's it's understandable. I'm not in any way sort of demeaning or dismissing his thoughts about his political impact, career on his on his family, the impact of his Oh don't so. be fair to Dominic Raab. No, I think you know. I think you have to be on the basis that <laughs> Just on the basis that if someone says that, you've got to say fair play, and I'm sure it is hard. But I, I dare say that, you know, in a different political environment, a lot of these people would come to different conclusions. Um, that's all I'm going to say on that. If, if the, you know, none of them were stand, in a rush to stand down in, in 2019 when they knew they were going to increase their majorities. And, you know, j- just like Labour this time, it's, it's looking good. Um, final point, Carl, just as a general thing on I heard today, that uh, apparently there's only one contested Labour seat based on the boundary reviews. They've managed to they've managed to sort everything out, and there's only one left that's contested. So that's yeah. Does that mean the the final boundary changes are going to come out soon, or does that mean that there's only one of the existing changes that are already out that is being being contested? Um, I think it means that based on what they know now on what might come out or what's so far coming out unless there's any dramatic changes from the proposals which I don't think there usually is but uh, so apparently there's everything's sort of been organised um, there's still obviously selections going on that um, sitting MPs could be contested for example but I think they've managed to come to a point where they don't expect any sitting MP versus sitting MP bloodbaths which, uh, oh, I see what you mean. I thought you were talking about the actual boundary to change proposals. Um, oh, no, but, based yeah, on Labour v Labour, like for new okay, seats and stuff. Yeah, because uh, the one that I saw was Steve Reid is moving out of Croydon, um, which I think also leaves a Croydon seat open for selection, but um, I don't have enough. Yeah, no, I've sort of lost touch they seem to have, it seems to have calmed down a bit there seems to be that lull between key targets and then um, yeah but yeah well there's, there's gonna there's, there are, I mean the, the I think the party is gonna try and do a, quite a few selections before the summer mm. um, this the, yeah there seem to be a, a, quite a few on the way I'll, I'll have to get my questions yeah. ready for my selection sheet <laughs> what's Things the spot? Barton West is going to open up soon, in, up in the northwest. I genuinely, I've talked about this before, but I would genuinely struggle to put in an application in anywhere that I don't live in. I, I wasn't like suggest. I mean, suggest- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I go for it. I'll, I'll back you all the way. Don't worry. <laughs> Red car, which um, for some reason in the the message that I've got is down as being in Yorkshire in the Humber. It emphatically is not in Yorkshire in the Humber. <laughs> Teesside all the way. And if Anna Turley doesn't get selected for that, I will eat my hat. <laughs> I fully expect yeah, so- unless she's decided not to stand again. But I think Anna was a good MP, and I think she's. Uh, 
uh, and I know Anna quite well. So yeah, she's. Mm-hmm. She, I I would imagine she'll come back, unless she's left politics, frontline politics altogether, which might have happened. But I just have a feeling she'll be back. Okay, I think that's supposed to open today, but I mean, you know, that's always a crazy seat, though. Like the the, the swings. If you look at the his, historical swings in that seat. Oh yeah, no. Gone from like minus fifteen. Like a, I think it was Ian Swales had it as a Lib Dem in twenty ten. And then went to Anna by like an equally big majority, and then went to way back to the Tories. Huge swings there, and um, I did some campaigning there in 2015, uh, and it was when Anna first stood, and she ended up winning. And they had something like an 80% contact rate with voters. I mean, it was insane. We we were knocking on like Labour promises, and it was like every door on the street, and they were like, "God, we had somebody here yesterday." It was just the most amazing campaign. So. But yeah, very fickle seat. Because I think the what that's one of the few, not sure if it's a red car, but certainly up in that area of Teesside, you're absolutely right. Not Yorkshire. Um, <laughs> the 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 were some areas where the Tory vote actually went up. So it's a really, it's not a you don't get a lot of uniform swings in in that area. It's it's very very unique. Yeah, no, I mean, I, d- I don't have any sort of unique insight into red car, but I, one of my friends did work for Ian Twelve actually for a while. Um, and it, my impression of, um, my, my sort of, without knowing anybody there or the kind of context, I just sort of have an assumption that there's, I think I, the same as in Red Car as in, I think, probably Burnley, that there must be quite a lot of very angry voters that, that want things to change and want them to change now. Um, and they've just tried a few different options. And so far you know, not got quite what I wanted. So I, I hope that, yeah, it swings firmly back into the the Labour, Labour fold next time around. Well, polling certainly suggested it would because Jacob Young's the current MP. And when they did a, a, a sort of straw poll on who would be the biggest swings back to Labour, and that came first. And actually, North West Durham, that I live in, Richard Holden, came second, expecting big Labour wins. Now that this seat's been carved up, well and truly, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, and I think from October the local Labour Party will be meeting under what the new constituencies will be uh, from that point. Um, so Richard currently doesn't have a seat. I don't know what he's going to do. We've guessed that he might go to Bishop, but I think I believe he's sniffing around elsewhere um, for for a better option maybe because um, he's he's a bus minister now and apparently quite enjoys it. And uh, yeah, so we'll wait and see. But yeah, certainly at the minute, red cars expected to swing ludicrously back to the, the red side. <laughs> and by ludicrously, I mean by a big margin, not just like way over the uniform swing, put that way. Not just in a ludicrous manner. Not just because it would be ludicrous <laughs> to swing back. Clearly it would be brilliant. And totally natural. But it is, a, it is a fickle seat. Like anything could happen. Like really, like the Tories could hold it. Like it just it is literally that type of seat. It's great. It's a very, very interesting one. I'll be, that'll be one of the many seats that I'll be looking for very closely on election night, which I do plan on pulling an all-nighter for. Live, live podcast, everybody. I'm, I'm, I am so I'm game for that. I'd rather do a... I think we should do that. <laughs> I think we should do... I mean, we might be getting, you know, 20 listeners by then, but I, I would hope that we uh, would be in a position to do even a, like a live YouTube results show. That's quite ambitious, but I'm game. All right. Pencil that in. I'm, let's do it. You know, we've announced it now, so I would love to do that. 
like have like a, I don't know how that it feels a bit swanky, but you know, a, we'll have you in the side doing the barometer thing. You know, like <laughs> you, you are the new Peter, whatever his name is. I forget. <laughs> I'm the new Peter, whatever his name is. Carl, whatever his name is, is here tonight. <laughs> With the swimming orbiter, swing orbiter all nighter, and yeah, I'm getting. I was actually, um, I actually investigated the possibility of doing that for the American elections on YouTube without any sort of like, I didn't have any sort of following to do it, but I just thought it would be possible to get like a room and like light it properly and just do some sort of live show, but then just didn't. I never had anyone to help me, but yeah, I've had that in that. So you never know. That might that might well be something I'd love to do. Well, that's a perfect segue into uh, and finally, uh, <laughs> Ron DeSantis in the state. I mean, we don't do lots of American politics on here, but I thought it was worth mentioning Ron DeSantis or Ron De Sanctimonious, as he's called affectionately by Donald Trump. Uh, launched his presidential bid yesterday uh, in an interview with Elon Musk, which apparently had a massive technical failure and didn't. Musk probably <laughs> fired about five people for that. Like some, I genuinely would have just sacked people. Not himself though. <laughs> yeah, well, he sort of did a little bit where somebody else has taken over, but um, yeah, I felt this one. This all feels like a bit pointless, Carl, because Trump's like thirty points ahead, and he's clearly going to win the nomination. I mean, it would be the most monumental upset for DeSantis to even get close, in my opinion. I'm not an expert, but it felt to me as soon as Trump announced, game over. He's still got a massive hold on the Republican Party. Yeah, I mean, it feels like the only sort of hope for Ron DeSantis at this point, and I'm, I'm not hoping really much for him. Am I about to get my cut thing out here? <laughs> I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> Yeah, I think the only over him is that Trump goes to prison. I mean, I think that's the. Well, I thought you were going to say die or something, but I, yeah. No, no, no. I think. He, I mean, I, mean that, I guess that's the other option, isn't it? Well, but, what we're <laughs> saying is Trump to be somehow unable to stand. Yeah, some, somehow taken out of the race, um, the of which there are ma- there are many ways that that could happen. But yeah, I mean, it just seems he seems to be on an island to nothing, and the fact that he's sort of persevering with this course of action either he knows something we don't or he's yeah i mean i mean i sometimes wonder because i think when you're a candidate he'll clearly have like a lot of very vocal support and they always seem able to fill those crowds with the desantis you know big square you know posters that they managed to find so it can almost feel like he's winning he's probably setting himself up for um a run in, in another four years' time. Now, that'll feel such a long way away. Um, but in terms of American politics, he's extremely young. Um, so perhaps he's got one eye on, you know, if it happens now, brilliant, um, but maybe one eye on the next election when Trump won't be standing. Um, I'm not sure what the... I suppose he could stand again, in theory, if he if he lived that long, because he'd be, he'd be well into his 80s by then. And... You know, if he lost this time, I suppose he would be eligible again for another four years. But you feel like you feel like it's the end of that era, like it's his last swing at this point. Um, but yeah, I, again, in terms of the nomination call, I just it's not even. I mean, it's hardly an outrageous prediction, is it? But I just feel like Trump won it as soon as he said he he, he wanted to stand. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there was a there was a period early on where it looked like DeSantis could be a good challenger, particularly, you know, he did very well in the Florida election um, and Trump was sort of stumbling a little bit, but he's just shot himself in every every foot, leg and arm uh, since he sort of started. He's, he has a complete lack of charisma, which is a which is a problem when you're up against Trump. Mm-hmm. As for what whatever else you know you say about him, he uh, attracts attention and is very good at doing so. Um, and he weird like Ron DeSantis weirdly started a fight with Disney like a few weeks yeah, ago, which out of nowhere, which. <laughs> Uh, you know, in and of itself, probably isn't definitive, but I think it just shows this terrible political judgment. Yeah, I mean, even Trump's uh, which, not, not doing that. I mean, yeah, but not many people sort of, survive like the Trump laser. You know, like when when he's got his attention on somebody, that there's not many people who come out ahead of him. Yeah, I mean, you sort of. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, and that's the thing with Ron DeSantis. Um, I think, I can't remember what the criticism he had of Trump was, but it felt very much like taking a knife to a gunfight. Like, if you're if you're going up against Trump, you're going to get a hail of abuse and you have to find a way to, way to deal with that. And so far, and, you know, things may change, but so far he just hasn't managed to get through it at all and he's just sort of wandered into this hail of gunfire. And I, I appreciate him using a lot of, like... Um, gun metaphors, but it feels appropriate in this context. Well, I'm going to bite the bullet and say that I think <laughs> that Ron is the only candidate who could get close. But like I say, I don't know whether anybody could call it. To be honest, but we'll if it gets, I would love to see it get closer, just for the pure theatre of it. But um, yeah, an, an upset feels a very very long way away. But yeah, we'll we will keep an eye on it because it's interesting, an interesting development as things go, and it, it does. It does make Trump be more Trumpish, which which could work out well for his base. But how well that does for the country, in terms of actually winning, I don't know. But um, yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye on it. So, I, I mean, think... I, I'm I'm willing to say just as a sort of putting a marker down, if Trump gets the nomination, I think he will lose. I think if it's a Biden Trump head to head again, Trump will fail. Um, He'll probably fail badly. He'll probably come dangerously close to being president again, but I think he will fail. Um, and I'm, you know, let's see whether I'm right come yeah. November next year. I don't know enough about it. Um, I've always felt it could be he could sneak back in, but I think I felt that last time, so I certainly don't want him to. Um, but we'll see. I think that. Just about brings us to the end, Carl. We've gone quite a bit over, so apologies. For... Thank you to anyone who's lasted this long. <laughs> don't um, don't apologise, Malcolm. I am the one that needs to apologise. I'm not. <laughs> oh, very grateful for you giving your time after you've been out. So, do you have any final words before we we wrap up for the week? Um, I just want to distance myself from anything that I've said in the last time. I think this may have been your Freedom finest to hour. To <laughs> Which says something, certainly. <laughs> thank well, you, everyone, for listening. <laughs> yes, thank you, everyone. That brings to an end of the podcast for this week. Please do share this episode with your friends. And if you lasted this long, thank you. And goodbye for now. We'll see you next week.